0: You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, Can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Since the last time we recorded, I just recently finished my last business trip for the summer, and now my horse and I are ready for a nice break from road trips, and we have a couple of months all the way until September before we need to be anywhere. Of course, that doesn't mean I'm not working. When I'm home, I always have a lot of projects going on. Mostly, we are working to create more educational content for our website, for social media, to help horse owners in general. Although I have a huge amount of how-to content already online, there's always a thirst for more um, from people such as yourselves, and I'll be working all summer to make more how-to content. I'll be working on videos, writing in my blog, recording new podcasts, and working on special media projects as well. I live in the town of Salida, Colorado. It's a small mountain town, and we are a hotbed for summer tourism, uh, mainly because of the huge whitewater rafting business that's here on the Arkansas River, but also because about 98% of our county is actual federal land that belongs to me and you. It's either BLM or um, US Forest Service land or state park service. So there's lots of camping and mountain biking and uh, peak mongering. We have a lot of 14,000 foot peaks, so a lot of people come just to climb the mountains here. So this place is busy and buzzing in the summer, and that's a lot of fun. Um, Summer's such a glorious time here in Colorado. I like to take advantage of the summer season myself. A lot of summer sports I'm involved with. Um, I've been trying to take advantage of not traveling and having a little extra time at home to work in my garden and mountain bike. I've also been enjoying time at the lake, boating and fishing. So even though I've been working to make more content for you guys over the summer, um, I'm also taking some time to enjoy uh, the Colorado mountain life as much as I can. This fall, I'm going to be busier than ever. I'll be teaching two ranch riding adventure clinics at the Sea Lazy U Ranch in September. And then um, straight from there, I'm going to Ireland. I'm leading two riding tours there along with Connemara Equestrian Tours. And then right after I get back from Ireland, I head to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, October 21st for the CHA International Conference. Um, There I'll be making presentations to riding instructors and trainers and barn managers, but that event is open to the public, to any horse enthusiasts, Um, so you might want to check it out. Right after I get back from Murfreesboro, I head back to see Lazy U for the Horsemanship Immersion Program. That's at the end of October This is a five-day horsemanship intensive. It's super fun. I look forward to it. It's a great way for me to finish out the year. Um, And by then, I'm going to be ready for my winter break. Uh, But for now, I'm uh, spending time at home and enjoying uh, my summer break from business travel. For more information on my clinics, horse expos, and riding vacations, please visit juliegoodnight.com events. And while you're there, check out my online training resources, curriculums, and personalized coaching program. Plus, we've got some innovative grooming tools, tack bits, training equipment, and videos at shop.juliegoodnight.com. In this episode of my podcast, I'm going to talk to you about the different types of clinics you might attend, how to know when you're ready to attend a clinic how to find the right clinic or clinician for you and your horse. Plus, we'll cover how you and your horse will get ready for the big event, what to expect when you get there, and how to keep a positive mindset throughout the clinic. Also, in the What the Hey Q&A segment at the end of this show, I'll answer questions from listeners about a horse that rears, about how to achieve collection while keeping your horse calm and light, and how to know when you're ready to incorporate bareback riding into your development as a rider. First, let's talk about why you might want to go to a clinic. There's a lot of different reasons. Uh, first of all, just simply for skill development, whether you want to develop your own riding skills or in- improve the training of your horse, or perhaps you are venturing into a new discipline, um, a new form of competition where you um, need skills or need to refine skills or acquire skills that you didn't previously have. You also might want to go to a clinic, not only as a means of education and training, but also as a way to get experience for both you and your horse going on the road, being in a strange location, having to perform in a strange location, and learn how to sleep away from home. It's almost like if if you knew your child was going to one day go away to college, you would want to gradually build their skills of independence and sleeping away from home and being away from parents. Uh, being away from direct supervision. You build those skills gradually over time. And the same thing is true of your horse. And a horsemanship clinic is a good way to do that. Also, for many people, horsemanship clinics allow them access to either facilities or situations that they can't practice on or expose their horse to from home. For instance, working cattle, is a really common one. Uh, Many of us, such as my husband and I, we are really interested in training our horses for different competitions that involve cattle, but we don't keep cattle at home here on our place and we don't want to. Um, So occasionally we have to travel to clinics that offer cow work or to uh, either a private or a public clinic um, to do that. So maybe you're trying to train your horse on trail obstacles, man-made trail obstacles. Maybe you're training for an endurance ride and you just want to get one little piece of the experience under your horse's belt. Another example would be you have a jumping horse and you want to, maybe you're doing three-day eventing and you want to be able to get out on a cross-country jumping course, which you don't have access to at home, or jump big stadium jumps, which you don't have access to at home. So there's a lot of different reasons why you might go to a clinic. It's also great experience um, for your horse. It's uh, really important socialization skills that your horse will learn. And for both you and your horse, going through the experiences that are involved in traveling with your horse, um, all of these are really uh, super good reasons uh, to attend a horsemanship clinic. So how do you know if you're ready to attend a clinic? Well, in part, that depends on the clinic that you're hoping to go to. Most clinics will publish or talk about freely a minimal skill level required. Obviously, if it's um, something that involves high-level competition, whether that's jumping skills or cutting skills or barrel racing, you might not be ready to participate at the highest level. So, you might need to look for introductory level stuff. But I would say in general, if you have um, minimal skill level of being able to walk, trot, and canter with your horse, um, if you can control your horse adequately in an arena and out in the open, if you have a means to travel with your horse, um, I would say uh, all of these things indicate that you're ready to attend a clinic there are a lot of different types of clinics that are available to you. We can um, look at either general horsemanship clinics or discipline specific clinics. And so when I think of a general horsemanship clinic, um, first of all, that's mostly what I do, where I might be teaching all different breeds, all different disciplines and all different ability levels um, in one clinic. Uh, We probably are going to do both groundwork and mounted work. And we're going to be working on not only improving the horse's training, but also improving the rider's um, or handler's um, knowledge and um, their own skills, their equitation skills and their ground handling skills. So that would be a general type horsemanship clinic. But there are also many, many discipline-specific clinics, whether that's cutting, roping, uh, barrel racing, dressage, jumping, all kinds of things, trail obstacles, almost any subject you can think of, uh, mounted shooting, mounted archery. So those would be examples of discipline-specific clinics where the instructors are primarily focused on Certain a certain skill set needed for a certain competition or style of riding. Also, you need to think about the length of the clinic. Um, I used to routinely do four and five day clinics until I realized that that was just too long for most horses and riders. Then I started doing three day clinics and that was a lot better. Uh, but I realized then that the Horses and riders were not on their best on the third day. So I kind of settled on doing two-day clinics. Um, People and horses are pretty worn out after two days of concentrated learning. Um, But it's a big enough lock of time that you can actually make progress, uh, a significant amount of progress during that time with with one horse and rider. So you might be able to attend a one-day clinic, a half-day clinic, Um, It's sort of all over the map in terms of the length of time involved. A lot of horsemanship clinics will split the day and you could sign up for one half-day clinic or both half-day clinics, and then uh, the second day would be the same thing. So that's kind of all over the map. The format of the clinic could be different as well. There's no one way of doing clinics, although in discipline-specific clinics, you'll generally see a commonality of how those clinics are conducted. For instance, cutting clinics, no matter what you do, um, only one person can cut at a time. Uh, Often you get the same situation with jumping clinics. So there's a lot of rotation, um, a lot of moving people through the, the exercise, Um, So, generally, those types of clinics, there's a lot of similarity in how they're run. Dressage clinics generally um, involve a series of private lessons with the instructor, and they don't tend to be group programs. But when you're talking about general horsemanship clinics or other types of clinics, um, often you'll be riding in a large group or a medium-sized group, um, but some clinicians prefer to do one-on-one as well. So the, that actual format of the clinic, are you gonna do groundwork first? Is there gonna be a classroom session? Will there be a meeting before the thing gets started? All of that can vary greatly with the actual clinic you sign up for, and, and we'll talk about um, how to get that information and what's the important information you need in just a bit, One more consideration in terms of the types of clinics you might be attending is the actual location. If you are boarding your horse at a large facility that frequently conducts horsemanship clinics, you might be able to sign up for a clinic without leaving home. But for most of us, going to a clinic is going to involve traveling. And how far you're willing and capable to travel is going to be a big factor in what types of clinics will be available to you. For instance, I don't do that many horsemanship clinics. I try to do them in various parts of the country when I can, but often people are traveling six to eight hours. Um, to get to one of my clinics because it's just the closest I'm going to come to where they live. So depending on how specific, is this a specific clinician or a very unique event that's going on, it's probably going to entail traveling some distance. So what your capabilities are there um, is also going to have a bearing on what type of clinic you decide to attend. It's also good to understand that there's a difference between riding in a clinic and spectating or auditing a clinic. Also, there are uh, types of experiences, clinic experiences, you can do where horses are provided so you don't have to haul a horse. So obviously, you know, the ideal thing and, and what most people are seeking is the opportunity to go with their horse to attend a horsemanship clinic, to work with a um, higher level trainer or clinician to specifically address the partnership between you and your horse and developing your skills together as a team. But that's not always possible. Um, I do a lot of clinics in Colorado and Ireland this year where horses are provided so anyone is able to participate and you don't have to haul a horse anywhere to go. The downside is you're riding someone else's horse, um, you're riding a horse you're unfamiliar with. You're not unfamiliar with it for very long, mind you, because you're busy riding it every day, but um, it's a different sort of experience. And also many horsemanship clinics, both discipline- specific. And general horsemanship clinics allow spectators, and often that's referred to as auditing a clinic, which means simply uh, participating in the clinic through observation, not from riding in the clinic. I I love having spectators auditors at my clinics, and I always invite them to participate with questions. It is. Um, really super educational to audit a clinic. You are able to watch all of the horses, all of the riders. You're able to see what the clinician is actually seeing from the center of the ring. Um, When you're on your own horse participating in a clinic, you tend to be kind of tunnel visioned in on you and your own horse, and you miss a lot of what the other horses are doing or going through, um, how they're responding and all of that. So the great thing about auditing is um, you get to really observe a lot and uh, it generally is significantly cheaper, sometimes only, you know, like $30, $50 a day uh, versus a couple of hundred a day to ride. So there are pros and cons in all of these different ways of participating in horsemanship clinics. And um, keep in mind that if you're totally new to doing this kind of thing, going to one or two clinics as an auditor and just simply observing how everything works and what the people are doing, what the instructors are doing, how the horses are acting, um, that is invaluable information. It's a great way to get started. If you're unsure about whether or not you want to commit to attending, a horsemanship clinic with your horse and riding in the clinic, maybe it costs a lot of money and you're not sure if it's worth it for you, going and attending uh, one of that clinician's clinics as a spectator is a great way to find out if they're a good match for you. If you, after uh, watching that clinic all day, can't wait to go home and try stuff on your horse if you enjoy learning and if if it's a fun and, and positive atmosphere there, you're probably going to want to come back as a rider. So um, it's a great way to kind of just get your feet wet a little bit and see what it's going to be like. Planning a budget for your horsemanship clinic is, is obviously an important thing to do. The price of the clinic obviously is going to depend on the level of clinician, the amount of demand, the accoutrements involved, are you working cattle? Is it a you know a huge uh, elaborate facility that has to be paid for in rental fees? Uh, what kind of add on costs are there for stall rental r v parking um these sorts of things. So, the cost can be all over the map. Also, is this an all day clinic, a half day clinic? Are you just riding in a one hour private lesson for the day? Um, all of these things are going to have a bearing on the cost. My clinics generally are going to run um, a couple of hundred dollars a day, two to three hundred dollars a day um, to ride in a clinic with me, and that's on the high end of the scale. Um, and and again, it's a supply and demand issue, but you're also, um, you know, paying for a higher level clinic. You could attend a more local clinic, a 4-H clinic, stuff like that is going to be down on the order of, you know, $50 a day or something like that. So the price is going to be all over the map. And there are many, many opportunities for awesome clinics that are provided by organizations, who are not trying to make a profit, who may be using volunteer clinicians or instructors? Um, there's a lot of opportunity out there in in every price range. So you just need to find um, the type of clinic you need in in a price range that that meets your budget. Now let's talk a little bit more about figuring out what type of clinic or what clinician you would actually want to work with um, to set as your goal. And I already mentioned location and travel. So that's going to be a real deal breaker for a lot of people. Are you equipped to travel with your horse? Are you capable and confident about doing that? Does your horse have enough training and life experience to be able to perform in new locations? A super green horse Uh, May not be ready for that kind of experience unless that horse is with a highly competent, seasoned, and qualified rider. So consider the location and how far uh, you're capable of traveling or willing to travel. And then that's going to dictate uh, your options. Now, a lot of people are interested in taking clinics from specific clinicians because they have a higher level skill set, because they have a methodology uh, you admire or want to learn more about, um, because their style fits you and your horse or your horse's level of training. Um, There's a lot of reasons to want to um, have a horsemanship clinic with a specific clinician. But it's important to figure out who's a good fit for you. Um, If you are looking at a specific clinician, probably the best thing to do is to go to that individual's website and look at their schedule and see where they're going to be. And if that's something that you can make happen uh, with the travel requirements. Also, you can check them out online. They probably have some YouTube videos, social media, that kind of stuff that could give you a feel for whether or not they are a good fit for you personally, whether or not there's someone you feel like you might have a connection with. So you want to explore that uh, before you uh, jump in with both feet. But I would say, like most things involving horses and trainers and instructors and boarding facilities and events, word of mouth recommendation is one of the best sources you can get. So ask your friends what clinics they've been to. Um, They're going to tell you straight up, was it awesome or was it awful? And um, word of mouth recommendation, I think is is really, really valuable, but you want to do your own homework as well um, to make sure it's a right fit for you. You may be considering a competition related clinic for many of us if we're venturing into a new area of competition, or even when it's something we've been doing for a while, but we want to go up to a new level, you're going to look for um, clinics that, Are specifically targeted towards that competition. There are are a lot of competitions out there like cow work, certain types of racing, mounted shooting, cutting, all kinds of stuff that you really need to um, be able to practice in an environment that mimics the competition. And most of us are not able to mimic those types of competitions at home. And even if you were able to mimic it at home, your horse needs to do it on the road. He needs to be able to practice and perform in new and unknown locations, just as well as he does at home. So a lot of times going to clinics um, is about specific types of competition. And you can uh, do these both through private clinics and through more public clinics that organizations are sponsoring, which are often um, a little bit more affordable. It may be that what you want is um, more of a horse training or a basic training, general horsemanship type clinic like the ones that I do, where we consider all aspects of your horsemanship and your horse's training. Um, I would take a look at your tack. I would see if this is this the right bit. Uh, let's check your saddle fit, let's see how your horse's ground manners are, here's what you need to do to get to the next level, let's analyze your riding skill, Uh, what, you know, what's the next thing you want to accomplish with this horse, here's a training plan that will get you there. So that's more of the kinds of guidance and direction you're going to get from a general horsemanship clinic. And then also you might want to try and suss out when you're looking at this clinic that you might be attending is it more focused on the horse or is it more focused on the rider or is it both my clinics are both because I, you know i think that, that they need to be but sometimes clinics are entirely focused on the training of the horse and uh, that could be great for some individuals but for others um the the rider is the problem of the horse. And so without addressing the rider, uh, you're not really going to accomplish much. So you want to try to get a feel for what what do you and your horse need most at this time? Is it your personal skill level that needs to be increased or the horses? Um, So you can uh, drill down on what type of clinic is going to benefit you more. Also, you want to kind of try to get an understanding of the culture that is going to exist at this horsemanship clinic, whether it is a big public clinic um, organized by a, an organization and taught by many different instructors, or whether it is a clinic from one specific clinician on one specific subject. Um, You want to make sure you're going to have fun. You want to make sure that you're going into an environment that is satisfying and rewarding to you. Um, And that, you know, basically these are people that you want to hang out with for the weekend. So not all cultures uh, are a fit for everyone. So anything you can do to try to get a feel for, you know, is this going to be an atmosphere of hardcore competition where everybody's you know serious or is this more of a vacation kind of everybody having a good time? Are they welcoming of beginners um, or do they not want beginners? What kind of atmosphere is going to exist there and make sure it's something you want to be a part of? Again, auditing is a great way to uh, figure out if that clinic might be a good fit for you. All right. Let's say that you have found a clinic. It's months away because you're doing your due diligence ahead of time, maybe even a whole year ahead of time. You've found a clinic you're going to attend this year and you have a period of time, whether that be weeks or months to get ready for your clinic. What are you going to do to get ready? First thing I want to recommend is that you recruit someone to go with you. Either recruit a riding buddy to go with you and bring their horse and ride with you, or recruit someone to come along as your support person. And that will be really helpful. It will give you a lot of confidence. It will um, save you a lot of grief um, in terms of having someone to support your endeavors and um it'll just make it a lot more fun so start work on working on recruiting someone to go with you as far as planning and preparation there are going to be a lot of logistics involved in preparing to take any trip with your horse and i have just recently written a lengthy blog on this very subject of how you plan and prepare and what logistics are involved in traveling with your horse. So I'm going to point you to my blog. Just go to juliegoodnight.com and uh, go to the academy, and you can um, read about travel logis- logistics with your horse. But beyond, you know, the trailer and the rig and all of that, you're going to have to, as I said, consider the distance you're capable of traveling, how long that's going to take, How far in advance you're going to have to leave the day before um, or is the morning of adequate? What kind of stalling are you going to have for your horse when you get there? What kind of supplies are you going to need to bring? What kind of accommodations are you going to have for yourself? Is there going to be food service available? What kind of health papers you're going to need for your horse? All of these are just things involved in planning and preparation. And that's a big part of the fun to me, of traveling with your horse is, is uh, checking all the boxes and thinking well and ahead and getting organized. Also, you're going to want to make sure that your tack and equipment and apparel is appropriate for the event. And I think that you want to make sure that you have good saddle fit for obvious reasons. When you go to a clinic, you're going to spend a lot of time in the saddle and Um, probably going to be riding your horse more than you normally do in a day, so he can get back sore easily. You want to make sure you have the right equipment for the clinic, and you should be able to find this out either directly from the clinician or from the person that's hosting the clinic. Um, For instance, am I expected to have a rope halter and long training lead? Will I be, is it okay if I ride in a snaffle, or is it okay if I ride Um, with or without a helmet. Whatever tack and equipment and apparel is expected, it's nice to know that ahead of time and sort of review uh, your situation and make sure it's appropriate to the clinic. But let me give you a little word of advice here. If in response to that question, you're told that you're going to have to buy all new equipment in order to participate in the clinic, I would think twice about that, you know, give me a reason why I need to buy a new rope halter when I already have one, but isn't giving you my money to register for this clinic enough? You're also going to force me to buy stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm in favor of selling stuff. I sell stuff at every clinic I do. I just don't make that a requirement of signing up for the clinic. So I would uh, I would question that if that's part of the uh, deal and um, you may not want to drink the Kool-Aid if that's the case. So also it's important to prepare your horse for a clinic. As I said just a minute ago, you're going to be riding this horse for uh, longer and harder than you normally do, even if you're putting in a lot of daily work to make sure your horse is conditioned for this event, you're actually going to spend more hours in the saddle during a clinic and four days and probably more than one day. So making sure your horse is physically fit is really important. Um, consider whether or not um, he needs to be shod. If he's not shod and you normally ride barefoot, do you have boots on hand? Uh, because he's almost certainly going to get foot sore um, if you have any mild lameness or soreness with your horse, that could really be a problem in an extended clinic. So, making sure your horse is physically fit well ahead of the clinic, you know, I would say that's going to start at least 30, um, but preferably 60 or 90 days before the clinic. Um, I've been shocked in the last five years or more how many people have shown up with their horse for one of my clinics without having ridden their horse one single time in the past year. And it's as if they signed up for the clinic to make themselves ride, but then they forgot to ride. So then they just show up for the clinic anyway. And I think that is incredibly unfair to your horse. I think it's kind of unfair to the clinician as well to say, I haven't ridden this horse for a year, but here I am showing up for your clinic and I expect you to work miracles for me. Um, but the main thing is, is unfair to your horse because he cannot possibly be physically prepared for the clinic. So this is your job. He didn't sign up for the clinic, you did. So make sure you give your horse time uh, to be prepared and also consider in that preparation, what kind of seasoning or life experience your horse has had. Has he ever been away from home? Has he ever traveled for hours in a trailer? Has he ever had to um perform around unknown horses in, in an unknown facility? These are all pretty serious things for horses. So it may be that if I have signed up or committed to attending a horsemanship clinic several months from now, then I need to make some small trips with my horse Take him to uh, your local fairgrounds and ride him. Go on a little overnight trip somewhere. Is he used to standing tied? Can he handle being in a box stall that he's not familiar with? These are all skills that the horse needs to develop from experience. And uh, you might need to take some baby trips in preparation for the big trip. So most importantly, um, if you've committed your energy and your money and your time to attending a horsemanship clinic, Make sure you also invest the time in preparing. Don't show up unprepared. Um, Make a commitment to be ready and follow through with that commitment in preparation for your clinic. One final word about getting ready for your clinic, make sure you take a lot of comfort products with you. Staying hydrated, chapstick, um, sunscreen, healthy snacks. Uh, This is one reason why you want a support person. But all of these things are going to be really important in your comfort, your horse's comfort, uh, to get the most out of a horsemanship clinic. So plan ahead in that regard as well. Let's talk for a minute about keeping a positive mindset while you're at the clinic and what to expect. You know, generally, I've taught a lot of clinics throughout my career. And I can say that generally at the start of a clinic, Things are often kind of frenetic and confusing and people invariably are arriving late and the horses are all excited and the people are nervous and people don't know where to go or what to do. And so there's often a lot of frenetic activity uh, first thing um, at the start of a clinic. And to me, that's all the more reason why I would want to arrive early Um, have gotten oriented, have met the host of the clinic and found my way around and let my horse settle. All those things really help. I want to make sure I have a good idea of the format of the clinic and how the schedule is going to go before I get there. Am I going to be riding in a large group? Am I going to be doing groundwork first? Am I going to have time to saddle or resaddle between sessions? Um, All of that I'd like to know ahead of time so I kind of have a plan in my head of how the day is going to go. I think it's really important for people to understand that horses, unless and until they are very experienced and highly trained, horses do not act the same away from home as they do at home. When you take a horse to a strange facility, and when you dump that horse into an environment where he's surrounded by unfamiliar horses, this can be quite overwhelming to horses that have never had those kinds of experiences. So, if you've never traveled with your horse and gone anywhere and done anything like this, don't expect him to act the same way he does at home. He's going to be a lot more excited. He's going to be very distracted. He might be lacking confidence. He might be intimidated easily by all the unfamiliar horses. There are a lot of reasons why he might be a little bit out of sorts. And this is normal. It always surprises me when people, horse owners, are shocked by the fact that their horse is not acting the same way at the clinic that he does at home. So again, all the more reason to come early. Make sure your horse has a chance to settle in try to get a feel for whether or not it's going to be a problem for your horse if your horse has not much experience, and uh, maybe even have a little time to talk to the host of the clinic or the clinician about um, how, um, how they might help you settle your horse in a little bit more. You know, keep in mind that if you feel nervous heading into a horsemanship clinic, whether you've done it once, or never, or dozens of times. Everyone is nervous at the start of a clinic. You don't really know what you're getting into. You don't know how your horse is gonna be. Plus it's something that you've been looking forward to for a long time, so there's a lot of excitement in the air. Um, but don't, don't worry about having um, a little bit of nervousness. I think it's important to come right out and tell people that you're nervous. Because what you're going to find out is so is everybody else. Um, Also, it's really really nice for the clinician to know that you're feeling a little bit nervous because then they can uh, work a little extra harder to put you at ease, to help you out where you need help uh, and support you and and help you feel more confident. The main thing is when you share your nervousness with others, uh, what you find out is that you're not the only one feeling that way um, and people tend to become more supportive. So don't 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 hold that back. Um, on the other hand, I think it's important to think positive, to imagine the best, to um, keep in touch with why you came there to begin with and what you hope to accomplish, and visualize that in your head. Um, don't doubt yourself or doubt your horse just because you've never done this before. It's particularly unfair to your horse, and while you. While you have to be aware that this new environment might be a challenge for your horse, that doesn't mean you have to doubt him or expect him to act poorly. You, you actually want to keep your expectations high of the horse. Just understand that he might be a little out of his element um, as well as you are. It's important when you're at the clinic to be open to trying new things. You know. If it's a good clinic, it's probably going to stretch your comfort zone just a little bit. And that's a good thing, right? That's how we uh, expand our skills. That's how we grow our confidence. So be open to trying new things. Again, it's okay to share with your clinician that you're a little bit nervous about something. Um, But also, if you do that, maybe the clinician can help you break it down into a little bit smaller step and um, see if you can accomplish that small step first. Also, it's important to be objective or as objective as you can about your horse and your own personal skill level. Look, no one really cares where you are in your personal journey with horses because everyone's on the same arc of learning somewhere. None of us have arrived. Uh, One person might have a little bit more experience than the other, but we're all on this journey and we're all somewhere. So where you are in the process doesn't really matter. Be humble about an objective about your own ability level, but you don't need to be apologetic. Um, again, just because you have less experience or less knowledge on a certain subject doesn't make you a lesser person. So we're all on the same playing field there, but some of us have more experience than others. And um, that is what it is. And and it's not anything that you need to be apologetic about. And uh, on the same token, if you're that advanced rider, be careful not to get on too high a horse. Uh, Make sure you're helping others and are supportive of newcomers. And uh, besides which as as most of us know, it doesn't pay to get on a high horse with your horse. <laughs> it doesn't pay to get egotistical um, or get unrealistic about your own ability level because both horses and clinicians have a way of humbling big egos. So you want to make sure you keep your ego in check as well. Um, and don't take things personally. You know, everyone needs coaching. You can't possibly be a perfect rider. No one is. We all need coaching. And um, besides, getting input is the whole reason why you're attending the clinic to begin with. And, you know, Megan reminded me that when you're attending a clinic and your horse acts up a little bit or something goes wrong or you make a mistake, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because... That's happening in front of the clinician who then can see what happened firsthand and can help you work through the issue. That's why you're there to expand your knowledge and your ability level. Making a mistake is an opportunity to learn and get better and to get specific input from that clinician or horse trainer on what you can do when you have these sorts of problems. Everybody's going to encounter problems with their horse at one time or another. So in a way, I think what Megan's trying to remind us is if you have the problem at the clinic in front of the clinician, you're going to get the most bang for your buck because you'll know what to do uh, when that problem occurs next time. Uh, A few more words of advice about getting the most from your horsemanship clinic. And some of this you'll have to keep in mind is from the clinician's point of view. And one thing is to be prompt and ride proactively. And by that, I mean uh, be ready, have your horse warmed up, be in the arena mounted, ready to go well ahead of time. Um, ride proactively, meaning when the clinician says go, you go, uh, meaning that when you're participating in an exercise where people are going one at a time. That's you're following the pattern, you're ready for your turn, you're ready to step into the exercise as soon as the uh, last person was finished. Uh, By ride proactively, I mean don't wait to be told what to do. Um, Look ahead, plan ahead, uh, be, be ready. Also, don't allow your horse to be disruptive to other horses or to interact in any way with another horse in the clinic. If your horse is not well socialized and he thinks he's in the arena with a bunch of strange horses just because you're having a big party, it's not only unsafe, but it's really bad etiquette to allow your horse to interact with other horses. So keep your distance, keep the horses, um, keep their ground manners in check. And if your horse is having a problem to the point that is disrupting other riders or other horses in the clinic... It's your responsibility to um, fix that problem so you're not affecting the experience of others, whether that means uh, removing your horse, going to the other end of the arena, um, asking for a little break, um, but uh, don't allow your horse to to be disruptive in any way. If you've arrived alone at a horsemanship clinic, pair up with someone whose horse is very settled. And um, with a rider that looks very confident, in most instances, people are willing to help you out if they can. But if I'm, uh, particularly if I'm on an inexperienced horse or a nervous horse, I'm going to be looking for that that person that looks super confident on a super confident horse, and I'm going to hang out close to them. Horses are monkey-see-monkey-do-animals. And if that person also happens to be willing uh, to give you a little advice to help you out along the way, um, that's going to make your experience all the better. Make sure you pace yourself and your horse. As I said, you're probably going to be riding for a lot longer period of time during the clinic than you normally do at home. So back soreness and lameness problems are common, So make sure you do the best to take care of your horse in that regard. You need to know your horse, know what its capabilities are, know what its weaknesses are. You need to know when your horse has had enough and make sure that you end on a positive note. It's not the clinician's job because the clinician does not know your horse. You're the leader and you're the one responsible um, for the well-being of your horse. So make sure that you pace yourself and your horse and that you pay attention to when your horse has had enough and that you quit well before that. You, You know, it's so critical to end on a positive note. Keep in mind that sometimes when you're attending a horsemanship clinic, it might not all be super fun and positive. There might be some negative um, aspects to the clinic, but sometimes learning what you don't want to do in your training program, sometimes learning what uh, techniques that you don't believe in is an important part of learning. Also, sometimes when people attend my horsemanship clinics, oftentimes I get people who are quite experienced horse people but they've never had a lot of formalized training. And then they come to my clinic and they hear a lot of formalized training, a lot of classical horsemanship ideals. And oftentimes there is a validation of the person's knowledge. It's like, I thought I was doing it right, but it's so great to know that I am doing it right. Or I thought that was what collection meant but I'm so glad to know I was right. So so validation of your existing knowledge is also a part of learning and it should be considered a positive bonus of attending a horsemanship clinic. Finally, a couple of simple words of advice when you attend a horsemanship clinic, sometimes you're going to hear ideas that are maybe contrary or sound a little different than what you're used to hearing from your instructor at home. But resist the temptation to invoke the my trainer says or my instructor says uh, that I should do it the other way. Um, You don't need to bring your trainer at home or your instructor into it because it kind of pits one person against another. You are at the clinic to get a new perspective and to get new input. Don't be afraid to ask for clarity. Um, How is that different from? such and such that I heard? Or is that the same thing as such and such? Uh, but you don't need to, to, to invoke my trainer says or my instructor says. Also, I would encourage you to make notes, get a little pocket-sized notebook and a small pen or pencil that you can keep in your pocket. I do that always when I'm writing in clinics because I've found that Uh, When I hear something or learn something meaningful, if I don't write it down, I'm not going to get to permanently keep it. So I like having a record and I like writing it down right in the moment. So I would encourage you to do that. And then finally, just have reasonable uh, expectations of what you hope to accomplish at a clinic. Reasonable expectations. You can't accomplish everything in one weekend clinic. You can't go from zero to a hundred in one weekend clinic. If, if I attend a clinic for myself, I'm pretty happy if I learn one significant thing from the weekend that I'm going to permanently incorporate into my uh, program. Um, If I have one more tool in my bag of tricks, when I leave that clinic, I'm pretty happy. If you're more on the beginner or novice end of things, it's going to be like drinking from a water hose um, but you're you're only going to be able to incorporate um, the actual information that you're ready to, for. Um, so don't have unreasonable expectations that you've got to accomplish everything. Let's say you're going to a clinic and one of your um, goals that you hope to accomplish is to learn how to do flying lead changes. Well, It might be be unrealistic to expect if you've never done them before that in one weekend, you're going to have perfected that. It takes time. It takes a lot of information. Each horse is different in the type of training it's going to need to be able to accomplish that skill. And uh, you can't expect it to happen immediately. So uh, have reasonable expectations. But what you can expect is to come away from that clinic, if you signed up for the right clinic, with more knowledge, uh, with certain exercises you're going to practice, and a progression of training that you're going to follow in order to accomplish that goal. Finally, when your horsemanship clinic is all said and done, and you're thinking about heading home, don't forget to thank your host, and don't forget to thank the clinician. I'm always surprised at how after working together with people for a whole weekend and especially after having made some significant breakthroughs and meaningful accomplishments, people will just walk away without a word, without saying goodbye or without saying thank you. And I know sometimes people have to rush away and it doesn't really bother me because it always happens. But I think when people take the time to say thank you, to say what was uh, great for what made the experience great for them, um, it makes us want to do it again. And it helps helps me become a better clinician because I am able to get immediate feedback on what people enjoyed the most about the clinic. So I also want to make sure I leave that facility in a better place than I found it. So they will be happy to invite us back next time. And remember, your horse was an involuntary recruit in this whole program, so be sure you take good care of your horse. Allow him to rest when he gets home. He may need to rest even before you travel home. Uh, He may need a little bit of butte to get past his soreness. Make sure you take good care of him as well. And finally, when you get home, if you will teach what you learned to someone else, you'll learn it even better. I promise it's one of the best Techniques for owning new skills is when you can teach it to someone else. So share what you learned with your friends. Attending a horsemanship clinic might be an end game goal for some of you or a stepping stone to something big or a stepping stone to something bigger for others. Either way, it's a big investment in time, money and energy. So you want to make sure you get the most from it. I hope you've found a few tips here that will help. I hope you've found a few tips here that will help. And please share this podcast with your barn buddies who may be planning to attend a clinic somewhere. I'd love to hear your comments about this subject. If it gave you some new insights or helped you get ready for your next adventure with your horse, please leave me a comment at juliegoodnight.com slash podcast. It's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hey, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. By the way, we keep all your questions in a queue, dropping off only the ones I've already answered or we've used on air as a topic. So even if I've not answered the question you submitted yet, I hope to get to it soon or maybe I'll turn your question into the main topic for a future podcast, which I've been known to do. So stay tuned. Our first question comes from Catherine in Quebec. She says, hello, Julie. You have no idea how your podcast gives me good advice, validating some of my approaches, or bringing me back to a more constructive perspective. So first, let me say a big thank you. My six-year-old quarter horse, Halflinger Cross, injured her right front leg at the level of the carpal flange. She was on stall rest for two months, which she absolutely hated. I started her rehab eight weeks ago first walking her on a lead and increasing the duration each week. She, of course, wanted to take off, hoping for a moment of inattention on my part. I took this opportunity to do ground training and nurture our relationship. She no longer limps, and now she can walk and trot under saddle, but she has started a behavior that I don't know how to handle. When I trot her and don't allow her to go faster, she rears up. I never leave her before she's given me a proper trot, so she doesn't associate that she only has to rear up to be left alone. But this behavior has become dangerous. The other day, she pitched up so high that she fell on her back, and I was very lucky to get out of the way before she fell on me. I know she has too much energy, but what can I do to continue her rehab gradually and safely? Thanks again for all of your advice, Catherine. Catherine, um, it's an interesting question because rearing is an interesting topic. Often we hear of horses that are refusing to move forward who rear. Let's say it's a horse you're trying to get to cross a creek and he's afraid of water and you push him forward and he balks and then rears up. But the other time that you see rearing is just in the instance you have mentioned, Um, which is when forward motion is inhibited in a horse that wants to move forward. So rearing has two opposite causes. One horse is rearing in a refusal to move forward, and the other horse is rearing because forward movement is inhibited. Obviously, your horse is the latter. By the way, the solution to rearing is always the same, no matter what the cause, and that is to move the horse forward. A horse that's moving forward can't rear. So that's the reason why your horse is rearing, because as you said, she wants to go faster and more and harder, and you're saying, no, slow down, slow down. Um, Some suggestions for you that may help is that when you have too much forward energy in a horse it's best to control it by arcing the horse, bringing the horse onto a wide arcing circle and lifting up on the inside rein and causing him to bend through his whole body with his nose to the inside and his shoulder lifted. Once you bring the horse on the arc, he will uh, gradually begin to slow down because it's more difficult for him to sustain speed on an arc And then the best way to control speed then becomes to tighten the circle up until you feel the horse slow down, then you let him go straight. And as you feel her gradually speed up, just gradually bringing her onto the arc again, making sure to lift up on the inside rein. So you bring a lot of bend to the horse through the nose and neck and shoulder and bring the circle gradually smaller or the arc smaller until you feel the horse physically slow down, and then you release it to a straight line. This is not just a good way to control speed, but it is also a good way to train the horse to hold a slower gait because the horse begins to associate going faster with harder work. And also because of what we call replacement training in horses, if every time my horse speeds up, I bring it onto an arcing circle, pretty soon every time it speeds up, it will prepare itself for that arcing circle. So it'll automatically start slowing down before I even get to the arcing circle. So trying to slow down a hot, fast forward horse with two reins rarely if ever works. It almost always has the opposite effect in causing the horse to speed up. So you did not mention the technique you were using to slow the horse down, but if it's going to two reins at the same time and checking the horse back, 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 I think that um, is part of your problem. So instead, allow the horse to continue trotting and just bring him on that arcing circle. If your horse is going to be hot and forward all the time, or if you're riding, uh, let's say, a big cross-country jumper out in the, on the open course where he might tend to get strong with you, It's a good idea to to learn how to use the pulley rein which is the same thing as the emergency stopping rein and with a big strong forward horse like that or one that's trying to get away from me i would just ride in the pulley rein position all the time ready to check back on one rein uh, when i need to and um, it's it's too complicated to try to explain Uh, here, but you can certainly find out more about the emergency stopping rain aid or uh, also known as the pulley rain um, by visiting my academy online at juliegoodnight.com. Also, we'll add a link to these training resources online in the podcast notes. Good luck and be safe, Catherine. Our second question comes from Brian, and he says, how do I get collection without creating too much forward energy, and without the horse getting heavy in my hand? Thank you, Brian. It's a great question, Brian, and it brings up the age-old argument about collection and heavy contact. Basically, there's two schools of thought, and there have been for for hundreds of years, and um, often we refer to it as the German school of thought and the French school of thought. And German dressage tends to be uh, more on the side of heavy contact and that the horse is reliant on the contact of the rider in order to perform collection and certain maneuvers. And then the French school of thought is the opposite, that lightness is the ideal and that um you know, all of all of that same thing could, can be achieved without heavy contact and that it is act, actually a better result. Uh, the French people call this alleged ideal, and it is a highly controversial subject all about uh, what they call roll court, which is a uh, bringing the horse behind the vertical. And all of that is a big part of this question that you're asking. Now, one reason horses coming into collection might get hotter and hotter and hotter is because of the anxiety that comes with performing something that's very difficult to do. When people ask for collection to the degree that the plane of the horse's face comes behind the vertical and they're hyper-flexing the horse at the pole, um, this is very bad physically for the horse. It can cause him pain. It can do permanent destruction to the ligaments between his um, neck and head. And it can cause a lot of anxiety in a horse. So, uh, one thing that I'm a big, big, strong believer is never bringing a horse behind the vertical. Um, I prefer them to stay slightly in, in front of vertical in a collected frame as they would naturally. So, you may, may be able to guess by now that I'm going to come down on the French side. I believe that lightness is a choice of the rider and has nothing to do uh, with the horse. All horses are capable of responding to light aids. Collection is a natural movement of a horse. It's it's uh, known as prideful behavior, and we see it when horses are being playful or maybe uh, a stallion is strutting his stuff in front of a mare Our horses are trying to get the other horses riled up. Maybe there's um, jealousy or new horses being introduced. The horse displaying prideful behavior has his head high and his neck arched and his back rounded and he's kind of prancing, picking his feet up high And this is natural collection, and um, like most of the things that we ask horses to do, they have the capability of doing it naturally. Obviously, with a rider on their back, it becomes much more difficult. And to train the horse to the level where he can perform it on cue with light aids um, is also difficult and takes time. So specifically to answer your question, Brian, uh, you always want to apply your driving aids before you apply resistance from the reins. In other words, when you're asking a horse for collection, always drive the horse more forward first before you begin to slowly and softly apply resistance with alternating rein aids. You only need to drive your horse forward enough that he won't stall out when you begin to use your reins. So don't drive him so far forward that he's, you know, launching Um, into a high speed, but just enough that he picks up his energy. And this is what we often refer to as driving the horse into your hand. So we don't pull a horse in a collection. We drive him forward into a resisting hand. I always want to start the driving forward by using the lateral rhythm of the horse's walk or trot. So I'll, I'll take a moment to center myself and feel the right, left, right, left, lateral movement in my hips and legs. And then I use that rhythm to drive the horse forward with my seat and legs. Then I'll softly and slowly shorten my reins and begin to apply soft alternating pressure right, left with the reins, same side leg as rein. So it's important to always start with the right left cues from your seat and leg and then follow through with the reins because eventually you'll be able to soften the reins and hold the horse in the collected frame with only your seat and legs. So drive that horse forward you want to make sure you keep the barrel of the horse flowing softly from side to side so we we have a nice flowy rhythm all the way through the spine of the horse You want to think about lifting with your leg aids, lifting your torso with each step of the trot so as not to burden your horse as he comes into collection. And then finally, it's good to allow that horse to come off the rein pressure. In other words, as my horse rounds up and brings his chin in, I want to actually soften the pressure of the reins so that as he rounds up and brings his chin in, he automatically begins to feel the release. And that rewards him from coming into frame. I will hold him in that frame with the rhythm of my seat and legs, but I'm not using rein pressure. I still have a light contact. I'm just no longer using um, the right-left pressure of the reins. If he begins to come out of frame, I immediately uh, drive forward with the seat and legs and go back to rain pressure and then soften the rein as he comes into roundness. So just check that you're not using too much driving aids and you're driving your horse too far forward because that would lead you to the path of too much heavy contact, right? So if I'm driving my horse too far forward um, and then I'm having to use heavy contact to hold it back, um, that's a cycle I would wish to break. So instead, think of coming from the other direction using the least amount of driving aids, the lightest rain aids possible, and allowing the horse to come off the contact and soften as he rounds up. Our third question comes from Andrea DeVoe, and she is one of my faithful interactive students. She and her horse, I have been coaching For a few years now, so I have some familiarity. And Andrea says, Dear Julie, I always enjoy your podcasts, and particularly enjoy when you describe riding skills in detail. The visualization you described in an episode about cantering was absolutely perfect for me. In the past year, I have been exploring different riding skills in short riding sessions. And as a matter of convenience, sometimes I have ridden bareback but I wonder if my skill level is appropriate for this type of riding. So my question is, what prerequisites should I be meeting as a rider? And what prerequisites should my horse be meeting to incorporate bareback riding into our training? Thank you. I'm looking forward to meeting up with you again at SeaLazyU, Andrea and Denali. Well, Andrea, thanks for the question. And it's good to hear from you and Denali. And it's an important question that you ask because there are certainly some advantages to riding bareback. You will uh, certainly improve your balance. You will learn to move in rhythm with the horse and you can really strengthen your riding muscles a lot. The problem comes into play when someone learns to ride from scratch bareback because it is very easy to learn bad habits riding bareback that will then carry um, through your riding for the rest of your career. So what will happen often when riders learn from scratch to ride bareback is they learn to grip with their lower legs and that causes them to have their heel up and to perch forward, to close the pelvis and perch forward. These are sort of the opposite. Uh, You're you're developing your muscle memory in the opposite way that you want it to be for correct riding, which is um, sitting back, heels down, and an open pelvis. So what prerequisites does a rider need? not Not a ton of stuff. You need to be balanced on the horse in what we call the balanced position or the balanced seat, which means that you're sitting on the horse vertical and uh, you have a vertical alignment between your ear, shoulder, hip, and heel. So your legs are hanging straight down underneath you. Your shoulders are straight up over your hips. Your tailbone is tucked slightly under so that your lower back is flat or slightly rounded and you um, have a nice and vertical position, and you can maintain that position at all three gates. Um, Also, super important that the rider is weighted in the heels, not clinching with the knees. If the rider can maintain this proper position at all gates, with and without her feet in the stirrups, she's ready to ride bareback. I'd like to Make sure that rider also has quiet and independent hands. We wanna make sure when if your balance is compromised that you're not holding on to the horse uh, with the reins. So often we're gonna put a neck strap around that horse or have some kind of neck rope that, in case you do lose your balance, you can grab that instead of grabbing the horse's mouth. Now, it's really tempting when you're riding bareback to allow your legs to hang way out in front of you. That's super comfortable. It's just not proper leg position. So when I'm riding bareback, I want to be careful to maintain proper leg position with my legs hanging straight down underneath me and with my toes up so that I am cultivating the proper muscle memory um, that I will have when riding in the saddle. And also because that's going to help your balance a lot. Um, Again, the problems with riding bareback as a beginner rider before you've already learned to balance on the horse is that you may learn to hang on with your lower leg, pinch your pelvis close, and um, balance on the horse's mouth. And then once you start riding in a saddle, these habits um, carry over. So I think you're going to do fine, Andrea. Um, I believe that you have Plenty riding skill to be riding bareback and and benefiting from it. Your horse denali is is pretty well trained these days. You've done a lot of done a lot of miles with him. And as long as that horse is safe and reliable at all three gates, he's fine to ride bareback. If he's never been ridden bareback and he's sensitive, he might need to get used to that direct pressure from your seat bones, that pinpoint pressure onto his back. So I always use a a bareback pad or some kind of pad uh, to help cushion the horse's back a little bit. But as long as that horse isn't spooky or trying to run away with you, that kind of stuff, as long as he's fairly easy to stop, he should be fine to ride bareback. So have fun. That's all the questions we have time for today. You know, I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. We'd love to hear what topics interest you the most, so if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. And here are a few tips if you want your question answered on the air. I would greatly appreciate it if you keep your questions concise and please proofread before hitting send. This will help us out a lot. Next month on my podcast, we'll cover another horsemanship topic to expand your knowledge and help make your horse life better. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and please invite your equestrian friends to join us. You can find this podcast on every platform. And don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles, all of it searchable content. Or you can enroll in a horsemanship short course on building confidence. Or join at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, like Andrea and her horse, Denali. There you'll receive a 12-month training curriculum for you and your horse, Plus, personalized coaching from me. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills, I hope you found some helpful information here to help make your horse life better. On next month's podcast, I'll be sharing some of my summer grooming tips to keep your horse's hair coat and skin healthy and glowing and how to keep your horse comfortable in the summer heat. Thank you for listening, and thanks again for your insightful comments and for the five-star ratings. It helps me out a lot, and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening. And please, stay safe and enjoy the ride.